Welcome, and thank you for joining us today for the teaching and preaching ministry from Central Baptist Church, Kannapolis, North Carolina. As senior pastor, Dean Hunter shares from the Bible how to live in a fallen world. The goal of Central Baptist Church is to change the world by teaching the Word of God. Come, let's listen in. Appreciate the music this morning, Matthew chapter 16, if you have your Bibles. We've been there uh, two weeks now as we continue this series on perspective. While you're turning to Matthew chapter 16, I, um, if you're visiting and wondering why everybody has read, it's not simply because we support the pagan holiday of St. Valentine. <laughs> As our youth pastor says, another made-up holiday. I don't want to put you on the spot, but you better not act as if it's made up on Tuesday. <laughs> and as someone who cares about you deeply, I encourage you to act as if it's at least a holiday worth giving something to your wife. But um, because of our health and wellness team, Ms. Patty Urey, who is greatly concerned about our health, and you've seen in the bulletin, we're calling this Heart Sunday, and um, encouraging us not to buy $200 cakes <laughs> and eat them fast. I mean, you buy a $200 cake, you're not going to let it sit around and rot. That's just not good stewardship. So what a, what a tightrope walking that is. But um, if, you're, if you're not aware, and I do want to draw attention, she, she and her team does a great job of making us aware of uh, things that matter with our health are in the bulletin month after month. Of course, February is heart month, and um, it's at least a good month to think about it when you eat that bacon cheeseburger with, <laughs> talked about that Wednesday. But um, not that I have mastered this in any way. We only have one body to serve the Lord in. I, I didn't expect an amen. Um, <laughs> sorry. I was wondering if there would be one, and uh, we should take care of it, and um, once again, it's not the message, but I say all that to say thank you, Patty, for making us aware and convicting us Sunday after Sunday, no, month after month, so um, we appreciate that, and that's why you look so pretty in your red today, those of you who did, and if you didn't, you're pretty too, in your own way. Matthew chapter 16, would you stand as we... Honor God's word as absolute truth. We read this passage last week where Jesus is at the, the base of Mount Hermon at Caesarea Philippi, this area by the snow-capped mountain, an area that was used as a temple to worship false idols. And Jesus brings his disciples here on purpose and ask this question, who do men say that I am? But from this question, we have two very poignant truths about the church. 
ecclesiology, God's church, the church of Jesus Christ, without that latter part. I trust that when we're finished today, you'll be encouraged and excited to know you're part of the body of Christ. If you are a part of the body of Christ, born-again Christian, though life might not be exactly how you would have it if you had your choice, there is good news. There's a lot of good news for the child of God. And we find it in these two points about the church. So I'm going to read it, Matthew chapter number 16, verses 13 through 18. When Jesus came to the coaster area of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, saying, who do men say that I, the Son of Man, am? They said, the, the people on the street are saying, you're John the Baptist, or Elijah, or others, or Jeremiah, or one of the other prophets. And he said unto them, but who do you say that I am. And Peter answered and said, Thou art the Christ, the Messiah, the Son of the living God. And Jesus answered and said unto him, Blessed are you, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood has not revealed this unto you, but my Father which is in heaven. And then here in verse 18, we're going to look at two foundational truths about the church. And I say unto you, you're, You are Peter. And upon this rock, I will build my church and the gates of hell. Can y'all read those two words? Shall not prevail against it. I used to hear the old fashioned country preacher say, I read the back of the book and we win. There is nothing that can stop the church of God. We will continue. It will continue. By the way, lest I forget later and get caught up in my sermon or my whatever I get caught up in, we're supposed to be on offense. We're not supposed to be cowered back in some corner, sucking our thumb in a fetal position saying, oh no, what do we do? Onward, Christian soldiers, they used to sing, marching as to war. They understood the battle we were in. And I don't know if you've woken up recently. We're in a battle more than we've ever been before, and we need to be marching more than we've ever marched before instead of retreating. I'd like to talk about that for a few minutes, but it'd take it a little longer. Let's pray for God to show us some truths about his church. Father, we thank you for the church. Not the building, not the property, although we're grateful for it. We thank you for the church, the believers who make up this local assembly and many other local churches around the world. May we be encouraged today to know we are on the winning side. May we be encouraged today to, in spite of the fact that we get bad news daily, personally, and even nationally and internationally, 
We understand we still live in a sin-cursed, corrupt world. But being a part of your church means we have hope in this life and hope beyond this life. Because we understand that this world is not our home. We really are just pilgrims passing through. But while we're here, motivate us to serve you, to march to your orders, and to attack the gates of hell through your power Teach us today about your church, truths that will encourage us. We ask this in Jesus' name, amen. Thank you. You may be seated. Last week, I spent an enormous amount of time trying to convince you if there was a need that the church is in distress in America. Now, not God's church, but church as far as the perspective of the world looking at us. We cannot deceive ourselves and to think that the, the world has not had an impact on the local church. Now, if you agree with me, I won't have to go back and rehash. I understand it's God's church, and we're going to look at that. I understand that the world really does not have an impact on God's true church. But in especially American culture, the church has lost its impact. Statistics prove it. People of the world who are not in the church respond accordingly that the church is no longer relevant. I read a statistic last week that ought to wake us up when nearly 20% of professing believers who are a part of a local church say that the local church is no longer relevant in American culture. You don't have to be a statistician or a theologian to figure out there must be some correlation between the lack of influence and relevance in the church and how America is headed. I remember the days of hearing elder pastors. That's odd to say that, elder pastor. Anyway, elder pastors to say, I remember when people used to respect the church. And they would even speak of the property. I have, I, if, if, a, if a Kannapolis police officer was to pull me over in the parking lot right here, right, right about there, I got to make this clear, multiple times they could have found me in possession of an open beer can. Whoa, now I've got your attention. <laughs> because I pull in that entrance up there and often there are beer cans thrown out there. Now, some of, you, some of you young folks are like, and? Some of you old folks are ticked off by that, aren't you? <laughs> I'm not talking about the property being holy. I think it is set apart for a reason. 
Don't get me wrong. But there used to be a day in America where you were scared to death to do anything to a church, at the church, or around the church. Much less throw a beer can out there. Now, I'm not trying to preach this too much, but I'm saying it's evident, it's practical evidence that the culture has lost respect for the church. You realize that the Kannapolis Police Department, God bless them, have to come through here and they have been assigned other churches in the area? Isn't that right, Mr. Police? Yeah. Why? Because of the funny business going on on the church property. I, I know we live in a different age. And every year I get older and more, what's the good biblical word? Um, anyway, I, I get a little more opinionated. I've done a few silly things in my life, just a few. But pre-Christian and kind of halfway Christian and Christian, I was scared to death to do it at the church. I can only imagine what my mom or dad would have done. My dad wasn't Holy Roller Joe, but if he would have found out I was doing something wrong in the church, he'd have got spiritual real quick. Because <laughs> there was at least this understanding that the church deserves respect. That even the property deserves respect. But I'm not going to preach this too much longer, but the people who make up the church which is in the text, the believers who make up the actual church have lost their influence. And it's not the world's fault. It's because we act so much like the world. Can't differentiate between the world and the church. And so they lose respect for us. They lose respect for the buildings. They lose respect for the property. They lose respect for the church in general. Because when the church looks just like the world, you can't tell them apart. And so you lose the impact. This text makes it clear of who the church is. Pastor Justin preached a couple weeks ago in 1 Corinthians and made it clear who the church is, what the church is. The actual word here, and I want to remind you, this is the only thing I really remind you from, from last week, is to speak of the relevance of the church. We talked about the law of first reference, and this is the very first reference to the word church in the New Testament, and we learn a lot from that first reference. And what we learn from this is this word does mean a local called out assembly of believers. Please, I don't, I don't know how else to say this other than to plead with you as teenagers especially, children especially, parents of these children and these teenagers, young adults, that group of people who fall out of church, don't let the world, don't let the enemy try to convince you or convince you that the church is not biblical nor relevant. It is. 90 times this same word is used in the New Testament to speak of a local called out assembly of believers. The law of first reference takes precedent in Bible study and here we have not only the first reference, but Jesus speaking of the church and saying, using this word, 
ecclesia, it's a called out group of believers. When, when we use that old fashioned preacher verse, Hebrews chapter 10, verse 25, it's relevant for today. And if we, listen, if we can, I'm going to use Pastor Justin again. He talked about this. If we can self-deceive ourselves, self-deceive, if we can deceive ourselves into believing that it's not relevant, then we'll start to act like it's not relevant. If we can convince ourselves that that's not really what that means, don't forsake the assembling of yourselves together. I mean, that's King James, but I think we can all figure that out. Do not forsake to assemble yourselves together. As the manner of some is, can you call any of them by name? Don't do it, that's sin, right? As the manner of some is, but more, oh, this is the fun part, and more as the day, there's only one the day approaches. Now, what's natural about that What's supernatural about that is that a Christian understands that we're to assemble together and we're, to, we're also understanding that the day is fastly approaching. We look around us and we see signs everywhere. We sing about it and amen and shout and dance about the signs of the time, but yet we don't get shouty and singy about meeting more. Maybe because it's just not fun. Or maybe it's just inconvenient. Now's a good time to say, we're having church tonight. <laughs> I knew that was coming. And now I'm depressed. I'm not listening. That's the bad news. No, see, see how I said that? That was intentional. Because uh, I, I just, I like the awkward half laugh, half amen, half, I'm not coming back. I don't care what you say. And here's the deal. I don't care. I kind of do, but for I'm not going to fuss about you not coming. We might talk about you while you're not here. <laughs> There's a reason we quit live streaming Sunday night. No, but the good news is I'm not preaching. So we'll get to see some of it. I don't know if y'all, have y'all heard the breaking news that you can now record events on TV? <laughs> you can, you can record them and watch the full, without, I mean, you can fast forward through commercials. I don't know if anybody's done that, but it is the coolest 21st century feature. <laughs> I'm not going to look in the direction of one of my children because he's kind of like me in some ways. He says, I just don't like watching it knowing it's recorded. So, well, you can... Fast forward through the commercials and we'll be live soon. What's that got to do with Matthew 16? I'm trying not to be too preachy, but when we allow the world to influence the church, we have to be careful now, we have to be balanced, and I understand there's nowhere, I know many people would love to be able to turn to 1 Corinthians chapter whatever, chapter verse whatever, and says, thou shalt go to church twice on Sundays. I know some of you would love that verse. I've not found it yet. 
I've not found the verse that says, thou shalt go Sunday morning, Sunday night, and Wednesday, and Sunday school hour must precede the worship hour. <laughs> I've not found it yet. And for those of you Pharisees who wanted me to say something controversial to that, but I have found that we should go more and more as the day approaches. Now, that's not qualified by saying it must be an a.m. and p.m. service. Y'all, I'm trying to get on your good side right now. Y'all pay attention? That means we ought to go more and more. That means we ought to have small groups. That means we ought to have Bible studies. That means we ought to be hanging out together, meeting more and more as the day approaches. We ought to want to because, once again, as I say, Sunday should be, it's not all Sunday should be, but it ought to be a breath of fresh air for the believers who have been in the world all week, smelling like the world, Right, you get around them, you smell like. If you go eat Mexican restaurant, you come out smelling like a fajita, right? <laughs> right. You go with the world, you hang out with the world because you got to. You work with them, you go to school with them, and 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 you feel like a fish out of water. You should. We're different. We're a new creation. Old things have passed away. Not that we don't want to be around them and we tell them and splash holy water on them and they sizzle. We're just saying we're with the world and we're not speaking their language. We're not bearing witness. It ought to be an exciting breath of fresh air to walk into church and see somebody that you bear witness with, encourage each other, high five, shake hands or whatever you're going to do. Hug them, pray for them, lift them up, encourage them. Doesn't that sound like your, your day at school, children? Doesn't that sound like a good day at school? You walk in, you encourage each other, you lift each other up. Hey, can I pray for you? I mean, do anything going on? Now, some of you are, you know, Billy Sundays, that's good. But the rest of us struggle with that. By the way, speaking of fellowship, I got to take a quick 15-second timeout. I thought there'd be a time to do this. Um, I like to shake hands. And there, there's diseases going around, Right? <laughs> There's this thing called Corona, <laughs> right? So I, I'm not a germaphobe, right? Y'all with me? Just relax. But I had a little bottle of hand sanitizer right here, and it leaves Sunday after Sunday. And I put this note here, please leave for pastor. Thanks. And guess what? It's gone again. <laughs> so now I think somebody's just doing it to get me. So if I'm sick tonight, and have to watch the Super Bowl without you. <laughs> it's because somebody stole my antibacterial. I am kind of feeling a little odd. All right, let's go. Let's, we got to preach. In Matthew chapter 16, verse 18, not only the law of first reference, the reality that Jesus is speaking about the local assembly of called out believers, not only the fact that it's mentioned 90 other times in the New Testament in the same context, we see two really important truths about the actual local church. Everybody with me? We're not talking about the building. We're talking about the people who make up the local church. We see two things. We see a truth about the foundation of the church, and we see a, a really encouraging truth about the future of the church. Notice verse 18. I say to you, you are Peter, and upon this rock I will build my church, 
and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. Two realities concerning the foundation of the church. First, the foundation is Christ. That's pretty obvious in the text. Somewhat obvious also is that the foundation is a confession of who Christ is. The church has the foundation built on Christ and the confession of who Jesus is. Remember when Peter was asked the question, um, well, the disciples, who do men say that I am? And they answered, and then Jesus says, but who do you say that I am? Thou art the Christ, Peter said, the son of the living God. Peter's confession of who Christ is is really doubling down on the Christ who is the foundation of the church. Most study Bibles will have something. Mine says, the confession of Simon Peter. There's a lot of fun we can have with Peter and uh, what some denominations or religions believe about Peter, but a real quick, easy Bible 101 plus some history thrown into it uh, will prove that they got it all wrong. It was made up, like a lot of other things they do that's made up. Like, give us some money. Keep you out of hell. Or give us some money and we'll pray extra special for that one that's in purgatory. Say, so that, that's mean. No, that's, that's heresy. That's somebody who's made up a doctrine to convince people of some phony, phony heresy to make money. By the way, it's a great building program. The Catholics have the prettiest buildings on the planet. Why? They had the greatest building program ever. Oh, Uncle Billy, he died? Do we know where he went? Well, right now, it's up in the air. I'm going to tell you, the more you give, the more we'll pray. That's exactly what, that's how it started. Don't, that's exactly. By the way, we just voted on some new lights, and we're going to have to install them, and that's going to cost another $30,000. So the more you give, the more we'll pray. Just, we'll see how it works. So they also have a phony truth about Peter. So a real quick Bible 101 proves that the foundation of the church is not Peter. The foundation is Christ. Jesus actually says, thou art Petros. I know some of you Bible students have, have figured this, and this is old news. Just smile like this. you never heard it before. Remember, Peter's name wasn't Peter until Jesus changed it. Did you know Jesus changed Peter's name? He was introduced to Jesus. I, now, that's a powerful guy, by the way. I, I like this. I like, you know, you ever met a cool guy? And not that Jesus was just cool. That's a little too progressive. But, and they come up and they say, hey. And so I'm, I'm somebody important. Jesus is. And they come bring um, this guy up and he says, hey, here's Andrew. From now on, I'm calling you Peter. That's pretty powerful, right? You all know anybody like that? I know some people used to just call people randomly by the wrong name, but they didn't care to know their real name. But it wasn't because they were powerful. They just, I don't know. I'm not going to say that word. Thou art Peter. In John chapter 1, verse 42, and he brought him to Jesus. And when Jesus beheld him, he said, Thou art Simon, the son of Jonah. Thou shalt be called Cephas, which is by interpretation a stone. So now here Jesus, and I have to do this to, to make sure we're building on the right foundation. Jesus says to Peter, thou art Petros. You are stone. 
This didn't catch Peter by surprise and say, what are you calling me a stone for? Because in John chapter one, he had given him this name. So he says, hey, you remember who you are, who I said you are? Now, call me crazy, but I think God's pretty sharp. I think he's got it all together. And I think when Jesus changed his name to Peter, he knew that a few chapters later in another book, he would be saying, hey, remember, you're Peter. I I think when Peter met Jesus and he said, I'm gonna call you Petros from now on, Peter was probably like, well, odd, little stone. I'll take it, thanks. Everybody likes a nickname, right? Little stone. Sounds like a rapper. He might be one. Little stone. Anyway, so Jesus gave him this new name, but here in Matthew 16, he says, thou art Petros, and upon this rock, Petra, I will build my church. Now, doesn't that seem so simple? And you think, how did a complete different religion mess that up? Well, we're not here to talk about that anymore. I've already upset some people, so I'll stop. Well, I've got Catholic friends. Okay, good. Make sure they love Jesus with all their heart, soul, mind, and strength. Somebody say amen, I'll move on right there. Is it possible for, I know, I know the questions. Upon this rock, Petra, it's almost as if Jesus might have been saying, thou art Peter, and upon this rock I'll build my church. The rock, the foundation, is Jesus. Petros is a small stone. Petra is not just a big rock. Petra is the word for like bedrock, like a shelf of a rock. Now, crazy enough, if you go, and I had the picture up, they probably don't have it ready, the Caesarea Philippi, I didn't ask them to have it ready, you'll see some of these shelf-like rocks. Matter of fact, there's actually a place where there were shelves that they hung and put up their fake idols or their idols. And Jesus is saying to him, I am the foundation, I am the bedrock, I am the shelf rock that the church is built on. Not a person, not a personality. This fleshes out today in our churches. We've got to build churches on Christ and not on people. I bored you with statistics last week. I'm not going to do it today. But I promise you, I promise you, churches are being destroyed. Churches are crumbling. Churches are going out of business left and right because they've been built on people and personalities. It's not, it's not exactly the way it was 50 years ago, but it's still being built on personalities. 50 years ago, it was built on a family. And you identified those families quickly, especially if you were a pastor looking for a job. You go in and they say, well, you're going to meet with the deacons, then we're going to meet with the personnel team, then we're going to meet with the Smith family. We're like, probably don't want to go there. Because y'all know those places. Now, we've... This is a good church. I don't know if anybody's told you this lately. We don't have those families. We don't. Now, if you're offended by that and you thought you were the family, I'm sorry, but you're not. <laughs> now, we care what you think, but we're not, we don't have a committee by a family and figure out what they think about moving forward. This, is, this church is built on Christ. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's right. oh. Do you know this? Do you know the average pastor, Southern Baptist pastor spends two and a half years, 2.7 years, who's counting, before they're 
gone or asked to be gone. Two and a half years, that's not time to, to get your furniture together. Do you know why? There's a number of reasons why. Uh, right now, if you go to the sbc.net website and you go under jobs, there's more jobs than, as my parents used to say, Carter's got liver pills, whatever that means. <laughs> you can name your job and move there. I guess he, had, he liked liver pills, I don't know. Anyway. Part of it's the preacher's problem. I'm just going to own up to it. Because you can go about anywhere you want to go. And you can, you can be, it's almost like a traveling nurse. You can, you can preach here a little while and say, you know what, I don't like this. I think I'll go to this one. And then you can bounce around. So some of it's on the preacher. But a lot of it's on the church. Because they built the church on the personality of a pastor. And when the pastor leaves, there goes the church. And churches are closing their doors. He said, some of them need to be closed. Honestly, some of them do. We need some churches that are growing, that are preaching the gospel and the Great Commission. But part of the reason we're seeing the failure of churches in America is because we're building on a personality. From the small local churches to the mega churches. May this church, may this church, may every Bible-believing, Bible-preaching church understand that it's not a person who this church is resting on. It's a solid shelf rock of Jesus. That when he goes off the scene, we understand it wasn't about him, but it was about him. And we keep on keeping on. I'll stop there because there's some meddling, but it'll offend some people, so I'll keep moving. Jesus says, I am the rock. Peter alluded to this to the church at Ephesus, talking about Jesus as the chief cornerstone. You know this. You are therefore no more strangers and foreigners, Ephesians chapter 2, but fellow citizens with the saints and the household of God. That's a great phrase there. We don't have time for that. And are built upon the foundation of the apostles, the prophets, Jesus Christ himself being the chief cornerstone. What does that mean? Talked about that when we talked about the church a couple years ago and built a little doghouse church up here. Y'all remember that? Jesus is the chief cornerstone. Isaiah the prophet spoke of Jesus as the cornerstone. The psalmist spoke of Jesus as the cornerstone. It speaks of the foundational stone. Before the industrial age that kind of made our country explode economically, we understood the chief cornerstone was the first stone ever laid. Now listen, we know that. And it set the tone for the entirety of the structure to be built. We know this. This is not some breaking news. But the reality is when Jesus is the chief foundational cornerstone, everything that is built upon the church is built on Jesus. Everything we do, every decision we make, now let me preach a little bit, every stance we take is built on Jesus. 
Which let me cover the negative part of that first. If you're standing on something and you're fighting for it and it's not built on Jesus, that's your own foundation. I'm not saying that's wrong. Everybody's got an opinion. But as a church, here's, here's where people get so disconnected and disjointed. And they, and they will say, I don't even want to say the word, that's politics. Now, we've covered this before. I think we know where I stand on this. I think it's a strategy of Satan himself. But just because something's legislative doesn't mean it's not to be addressed biblically. We should stand on issues that the Bible is clear on and not let the enemy trick us into believing that's politics and we shouldn't be involved. The first institution of God was not the local church, but it was the family. Family. Adam and Eve, leave and cleave. Leave mom and dad, cleave to one another. The two shall be one flesh. Later, Paul talks about the order of the family. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself for it. Wives, submit to your husbands as unto the Lord. Children, obey your parents, for it is right, and they'll beat you if you don't. That's the structure. It's biblical. It's biblical. It's foundational, and the foundation is Christ, the Word of God. Don't let the devil tell you you shouldn't be talking about marriage and family because it's political. That's garbage. It's biblical. And every gross, negligent sin that we're seeing paraded and celebrated in this country destroys or is destructive to the family. We're sitting back saying, that's political. I'm not getting involved. I'm not going to talk about gay marriage. Why? God talked about marriage. God told us what marriage is. You know why we don't talk about gay marriage? Because it's our friend getting married. All right, moving on. Where Jesus stands on life, the church stands on life. Not just birth life, but all the way to the grave. The issues that we stand on are not stood on because of someone's opinion, but because of Jesus. Life, marriage, family, gender, sin, the cross, resurrection, eternity, the church. These are all subject matters that Jesus is the foundation of. Therefore, that's where and the only place the church should be standing. Well, if Jesus was here today, I think he would. He is here today. And he's the same yesterday, today, and forevermore. And I change not. That's as simple as we can put it. And he's the foundation of the church. So every issue we stand for, he ought to be the foundation of it. And if he's not, we don't teach it. Say, so, well, I've got a different opinion. We keep it that way. But don't blame God for it. Don't say the church... And, and for the love of everything holy, don't say, well, my church thinks this way, but I think this way. Find another church that thinks the way you do so that you can bring them down and not us. 
Well, they, they preach that you, oh, I was in a fun conversation just a week ago. And um, I don't know if they trolled me or not. I got a few people that troll me on, I don't know if that's the right hip word to say. They go back and see what I preached. They do, so I don't know. But I had somebody tell me the other day that um, you Baptists don't let men that have been married before be deacons. I said, I ain't Baptist, that's, that's Bible. Well, see, see how that even came over in, in the Baptist church today? I said, whoa, how should we take that? That sounds pretty. And uh, their response was, well, that don't make them less Christian. And I said, nobody said that. But it's an appointed position in the church that God said this is how it ought to be. Now, would I do that? I don't know. Would I make that decision? I don't know. But God made the decision. So I don't have to understand it. I don't have to say, well, God's old. And, and he doesn't know that we've progressed past that. And that sounds so silly, but that's what churches are doing. Like, let's rewrite what God said for modern translation purposes. I'm not talking about translations. I'm talking about perception. Well, if, here, listen to what people are saying, but they're not saying it. Well, if God would have known how far we were going to come in society, he probably wouldn't have said that. Does anybody see a problem with that? I think he knew. I think he knew we would be messed up. I think he knew families would be destroyed. I think he knew that 55% of American families' parent marriages would end in divorce, and even in the church. I think he knew that. I think he has a plan. I think his plan is perfect. Because a few weeks ago, we preached that God is righteous. God is right. Everything he is and everything he does is right. So I don't question it. I've got my own opinions, but it don't matter if it doesn't line up with God. So church members going around saying, well, they believe this, if it's biblical, but I believe this, that is not healthy. I don't want anybody leaving. But I want you to stand if you're going to be saying you disagree with where the church stands on biblical foundational issues. Now, before you leave, I'd like to meet with you and we can maybe talk it out and see clearly that you are wrong and um, everybody with me? I'm not saying line up with the preacher and the personality's opinions. I'm talking about line up with God's facts, God's truth. It keeps us all in unity. We're singing from the same songbook. Some can sing, some can't, but we're reading the same words. That's unity. God didn't make this complicated. Church stands where Jesus stands. If a church has Jesus as the foundation. The foundation is Christ. The foundation is a confession, which is just a double down on Jesus being the foundation. Who do you say that I am? You're the Christ. You're the son of the living God. Ding, ding, ding. Bells goes off everywhere. Confetti falling. Peter won. Right answer, Peter. But nobody told you this. Nobody in the flesh told you this. God revealed to you that I am who I say I am. You're the Christ, the son of the living God. The confession of Peter of who Jesus is 
doubles down, highlights, underlines, bold prints the foundation of the church. The foundation of the church is not, it is Christ, but it's who Christ is. The Son of God. The Son of God. God the Son. The Savior. The sinless Savior who died an undeserving death for our sin. Who raises in their time frame. He raises and we see he raised victorious. That's the foundation of the church. Listen, I'm going to say this again because I think I've probably rode this horse a while. Who Jesus is is not just who you think he is. Who Jesus is is not man's opinion of who Jesus is. Y'all back away and see the panoramic of American culture today and the church and see that Jesus can be who you want him to be? This is where we're at. Let's don't, let's don't act like we're living under a rock somewhere. Well, my Jesus doesn't, my Jesus wouldn't flip over money changers' tables. Well, Jesus did. Right. Don't care what your Jesus would do. Well, if, and we make him who we want him to be. Listen, he... He, he is the kind, compassionate, loving, gentle shepherd. But he's also the ticked off, righteous indignation, money changing table flipper over. Because he's righteous. And everything he does and everything he is is right. Because he's God. And the confession of Peter that that's who Jesus is, is the foundation of the church. It's everything Jesus is. I know what time it is, and this is the best part. Not only the foundation of the church, but the future of the church. It's in this text. You see it? Upon this rock I'll build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. I already kind of preached that a little bit. Gates are defensive. Gates are defensive. What we understand about this truth of the, found, of the future of the church, I want to make two points really quickly. War is certain and victory is secured. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know if anybody's told you this or not, but we're in a war. Yeah. We might be in another war. They keep flying those balloons over. <laughs> Y'all stocked up and ready? Something's going on. And they start flying balloons over. And basically, poking, I would say poke the bear. But have y'all seen him? <laughs> I'm going to have to just say the bear's America. Certainly not our president. You poke him, it's probably, his sternum will probably fracture if you poke him. I'm just saying. <laughs> He's the only one I, you can see that looks like he may be wearing a bulletproof vest but still looks anorexic. Anybody seen that? I don't think he's real. I don't know what's going on. I'm, I'm looking for the strings. Pray for our country. Pray for our leaders. Stock up. Red Dome. Okay, here we go. The future of the church. War is certain. We're in a, we're in a battle. We're in a war. We don't wrestle against flesh and blood. 
although we might have to wrestle flesh and blood every now and then, but against principalities, spiritual wickedness in high places. We have an enemy. He is real. Satan is real. And his followers are real. And Paul told us in Ephesians that it's certain. Be sober, be vigilant, Peter said, for your adversary, your enemy, the devil, is as a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour. We have an enemy who wants to destroy us. Gates of hell represent not just the power or the kingdom of Satan, but death itself. This is important to understand. Death itself. Gates of hell, power, uh, kingdom of Satan. The entryway to the kingdom of Satan is death. I'm not talking about for the believer, right? But how do you, how do you get into the, the gates of hell or the gates of heaven, for that matter? Death. Death results in eternity. And so this, this gate is representing the entryway to Satan's kingdom for the lost person. And there's one way to get there. It's to die. So I don't believe that. I like that other version better. Well, I'm telling you, Jesus told a story. And he said, two men died. And one opened up his eyes in paradise and the other opened up his eyes in hell, being in torment. You say, well, I don't like that, Jesus. Well, that's what's wrong with the country today. I don't like that heaven and hell. I don't like that eternity. Well, we're building our view of eternity on the word of God, the foundation, and not on man's opinions. This gate that Jesus is referring to says it's an entryway until, into Life after death. Death is man's enemy. Death is the lost person's ultimate enemy because it opens up the doors, the gates, into Satan's kingdom. How is it every man's enemy? We don't like to say this, but it's appointed to every man wants to die. After this, the judgment. Death and war is certain. But the end of verse 18 tells us that victory is secured. We see what the gates of hell are, and I could elaborate, but I know what time it is. But the reality is the future of the believer is secure because the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. We kind of overlook it a lot of times, but it is the church. The it in the last of verse 18 is the church, the ecclesia, the called out group of believers. So for you old folks who like Jake Hess, you'll get this. He said, death ain't no big deal for a believer. Gates, defensive, separating us from Satan's kingdom from eternal damnation. But for it, the church, death has no power. So 
the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. Paul said it this way. Death is futile. Behold, I show you a mystery. Y'all know this passage? We shall not all sleep, but we all shall be changed. In the moment, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trump, for the trump shall sound, the dead in Christ shall be raised, the dead shall be raised incorruptible, we shall be changed, for this corruptible must put on incorruption, and this mortal must put on immortality. So when this corruptible shall have put on incorruption, and this mortal shall have put on immortality, then shall be brought to pass the saying that is written. Y'all ready? Death is swallowed up in victory. For who? The church. The it. The gates of hell shall not prevail against the church because death is swallowed up in victory. So we understand that the sting of death is sin and the strength of sin is the law. But thanks be to God, which gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Verse 55, oh, death, where is your sting? Grave, listen, gates of hell, where is your victory? There is no victory for the gates of hell in the life of a Christian because Jesus paid the price, died, rose from the dead so that you and I, so he was the first fruits of you and I who will be raised victorious through the power of God. So Jesus says, hey, uh, the gates of hell, they don't have any effect on the church. Listen, listen, doesn't mean that everybody that's here today in this church building is going to escape the gates of hell. Because not everybody sitting in a Baptist church today is part of the church. A lot of people, and I know this sounds real old-fashioned, there's a lot of people banking their eternity on church membership. I'm faithful. I go to a good church, good preacher. They, They preach the gospel. The saddest thought is that there will be people standing before Jesus one day, hearing, depart from me, you workers of iniquity, when they sat in a church preaching the gospel week after week. Faithful attendance. Went to Sunday school, gave 10.5%, just for good measure. But we're here to part from me, you workers of iniquity. You are not part of my church. You were part of a church, but you weren't part of my church. And for that person, that man, that woman, that boy or girl, the gates of hell will prevail because you will die. We will all die and stand before God. And for the lost person, those defensive gates will open and you'll enter Satan's kingdom. But Jesus said for the church, there's no prevailing for those gates. Would you stand with me? The true church prevails because there is no sting of death. The grave has no victory because Jesus paid the price for our sin and rose victorious. 
Songwriter said this, before you play anything and mess me up. One of my favorite hymns. I heard an old, old story. How a Savior came from glory. Y'all know the rest? Gave his life on Calvary to save a wretch like me. Heard about his groaning, his precious blood's atoning, then I repented of my sins. And one, it's a good Bible word, the victory. Death has no victory for the child of God. Oh, grave, where is your victory? Oh, death, where is your sting? For the child of God, I'm gonna tell you, there's no more exciting verse of scripture to read at a funeral than this verse, when you know that you know that he or she is absent from the body but present with the Lord. Because we can look at this final, final phase in a person's life with a crying family and say, hey, death has been swallowed up in victory. Grave has no victory. This is not the finality of this believer. Victory in Jesus, my Savior forever. Church, if you're born again, he sought you and he bought you with his redeeming blood. He loved me before I knew him and all my love, all my heart. Thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all your heart, all your soul, all your mind. All my love is due him. He plunged me to victory beneath the cleansing blood. Church, we turn on our news and it looks pretty bad. Somebody say amen. amen. Looks like the world's just swirling down the toilet. But we have victory in Jesus. The church will Remain. Are you part of the church? Not part of Central Baptist. You part of the church. Would you pray with me? Father, I thank you for your word that's so clear. God, you know my heart better than I could ever imagine it. And if I had one wish, if I had one prayer that I know could be answered, it would be that no person standing in this room, in this church building, right now, would ever stand before you not ready. May no person in this room attempt to base their eternal existence on church membership on good works, on how long they've been a part of this church, or how much they love the church, love the preacher, love the people. May every person in this room today, from the believer to the lost person, understand their need for salvation. May they understand that their faith is not built on a church, but on you your son as the foundation of the church.
May no person leave here today that has not confessed you as the Christ, the Savior, Lord of their life, the foundation of your church. God, what a tragedy it's going to be. What a tragedy it would be for a person to stand before you, to give an account, and to be, to not be ready when they grew up in or they sat in a Baptist church preaching the gospel week after week. God, that would be my prayer that every person in this room who's heard the gospel would make you Lord of their life. May it be clear at this church and every other Bible-believing church that the only way to heaven is through your son, Jesus. The foundation of this church and of his church. Thank you for listening today. If you'd like to know more about Central Baptist Church, events, and ministries, please visit our webpage at cbckannapolis.com.